and uh, he's here. Say this, Father, I believe with all my heart that I'm here by divine appointment. I believe with all my heart that what I'm about to hear tonight is going to change my life. I thank you, Father, for your Bible. I thank you that you've made so many available in so many translations. I have no excuse. So, Father, I bring you tonight my eyes, my ears, my heart, and my mind. And I boldly declare and believe with all my heart that I will be changed by the Word of God in Jesus' name. Tell yourself, tell someone, I'm going to be changed by the Word of God tonight. You know, the, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word is God. And Jesus said, you're not going to be judged. I don't have to judge you. The Word of God will judge you. This, this is the book that, uh, that we're to live by, that we're to know. It was given to us to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so don't take lightly your Bible. Uh, just as we feed ourselves food, we need to feed ourselves spiritual food. Uh, we always like, I've always heard that our church is like a restaurant, and I'm the chef, and I prepare the food, and uh, if you, if you uh, don't like my meal, then you can go to another place to eat, but I, I believe that I prepare what God wants me to give to you, and so it's food for your spirit, and if you don't, you know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and that's that's what this is all about. This is the word of God. This proceeded out of the word at God's mouth. It says in Isaiah 55, 11, it says, every word that comes out of the mouth of God, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit, is, is not void. It's not powerless, but it's powerful. And it, it proceeds out of the mouth of God. And God said, my word will not come back void. It will accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing where I've sent it. So when you speak God's word over your situation, over your life, it can't, it does, it's not void. It's going to do something very powerful. I know when I get attacked with sickness and disease, I'm constantly talking to my aging body, and I have to tell it, you know what? In the name of Jesus, it says in the word of God that whatsoever shall bind on earth shall be bound, and whatever I loose on earth shall be loosed. The word of God says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and I speak life over my body in Jesus' name. The Word of God says, if I speak to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and I believe in my heart and doubt not, it, it shall be done. And so we need to learn that God's Word is powerful. You have the most powerful tool called your tongue that's in your mouth. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Very quick announcements. Uh, I, you may have said something. I, I was stepping out during the announcements, but there's a leadership conference uh, a meeting from 9.30 to 1.30. It's open to everybody. It's only $10.00. They're going to give you a, a continental breakfast. They'll give you lunch. Uh, Bob Yandian, who's an incredible teacher of the Word of God, I've known him for years, a great man. He travels about now. He's doing this conference. He's going to teach on 10 leadership principles from David, from David. If you are interested in going, we're going to be meeting at the church. I need to have your name, though. I need a count. We'll be meeting at the church, or you can go directly. He's up, in, uh, up right off 94 in Hardingston, which is like Randolph, up in that area, I believe. Uh, it's right up on 94. It's about an hour and 20 minutes from here. We can meet here, all go together early Saturday. We want to get up there about, about 9, 9.30. Uh, but it's only $10 ahead, and it's great. If you are interested, please talk to me. 
uh, you could uh, or see Judy. Let us know that you're coming. I just need a count. Oh, there's a sign-up sheet. Okay, you can sign up, and uh, we'll we'll give you more details on Sunday about what we're going to be doing. But that's a week from this Saturday, so it's November 4th. Life-changing. Fabian is an incredible teacher, and it's not that far from here. You'll be absolutely blessed. So it's open to everybody if you want to go. Amen. Okay. Uh, and the other thing is, I know his announcements Thursday. This coming Thursday, we start our four-week Bible class. Sarah Cranick, an incredible teacher, is going to be teaching that class uh, here at the church, 6.30 to 8.30, and she's teaching on the name of Jesus. The most powerful, one of the most powerful tools you have is the Word of God and the name of Jesus. Amen? When you say in the name of Jesus, that means I'm standing in his stead. I'm standing just as he would be speaking this in the name of Jesus, and you'll get some very powerful teaching with that. Amen. Ready? Ready for the word? Put your hands out to me. Say, Father, I believe with all my heart that the word I receive is from you. Now I'll pray. Father, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I covet that gift that you've given me to teach and preach the word. May I teach with clarity. May I teach with boldness. May I hold nothing back that you put in my mind to speak. I thank you, Lord, this is not me but you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you have not left us comfortless, but you sent us the Holy Spirit to enable us to interpret your word. And Lord, may I teach this word properly, accurately, with power and anointing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, so this is part three, uh, not just another book. I entitled my notes, The Bible, The Mystery Revealed, but it's not just another book. I hope you understand it. It's not just another book. Say that. It's not just another book. The word is powerful. It's alive. It can absolutely change your life. It can revolutionize your future. It can heal your past, and it'll definitely help you in the present. And so we've been talking about this wonderful book, the Bible, which is also called the Word of God. And when I spoke about it uh, last time, I was not here last week, right? We spoke about it last time. I ended with a question, and this is what I said. Since I base my belief on the character my belief on the character and nature of Almighty God upon the scriptures which I read in the Word of God, we take this book and we really believe that those accounts are true. Are they true? That's a question. Do you believe that the accounts in the Bible are true? There's actually Bible teachers that believe there's a lot of error and there's contradictions. They don't know what they're talking about because it doesn't contradict itself and the character and nature of God are revealed. So can I believe the Bible is true? So this is something I love to teach teenagers because it's just so basic, but adults need to hear it too. How do I know that the Bible is true? Well, number one, this is a little bit of review, archaeology. When you read about the events in the Bible, science is the biggest support of the Bible. They're finding out that the events in the Bible, they go back and they do digs and they do some archaeological studies. They're finding out that the things that are in the Bible are true. Now, they say they found Noah's Ark. It's so powerful finding that those that don't believe in Christianity, communists, whatever, they won't let you go and look at it. They won't let us go up there. There was a recent dig that was done in Jerusalem. Heard about this a couple of years ago. And they realized that where they celebrate where the cross was was not really where it was. It was somewhere else. And so they did a little dig. And when they went down there, they found out. They, they, now, again, they, I can't prove it, but I heard about it. But they wouldn't let them continue anymore but they believe they found the Ark of the Covenant. They found the mercy seat. And they realized that when Jesus was bleeding to death, 
and his blood was coming down off that cross, and that earthquake occurred, the ground cracked, and the blood actually went down and dripped upon the mercy seat that was down in the ground. Now, the Bible says that Jesus took his own blood and went up to heaven and sprinkled his blood on that mercy seat. So when God sees you screw up and me screw up, and we go before the throne of grace, he sees that blood-stained mercy seat. That's the blood of his almighty son that died for him, for us, I should say. He died for us. Amen? So he died for me. Amen. So it is one of the greatest supporters of biblical accuracy. The cities, the kings, the leaders, the events are true by historical accounts that have been found. Listen, I came from a medical scientific background, and the thing that helped me really understand that the Bible was true, that when I did some studies, I found that a lot, most, all of the prophecies that were talked about our day and age and prior have come to pass. So if 99% are come to pass, guess what? The ones that are coming up are going to come to pass too. Amen. You guys here tonight? Amen. Right. And number two, one of the strongest evidences of the divine inspiration of the Bible is the testimony of fulfilled prophecies. Other religious scriptures, they contain small kind of vague predictions, but most have failed. I watched a program once, on, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Nicode not Nicodemus. Nostradamus. And they were trying to say, this is what he said. These things were so vague. They were so confusing. I said, wow, you got to really, really twist this up to make this work. But the Bible's clear. It named kings. It named empires. It named wars. It named leaders. When Daniel prophesied in the Bible, about, they weren't even there yet. He was prophesying the Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire. And he talks even about what's going on today. Amen? So the Bible is true by prophecy. However, in the Bible, there's more than 600 direct references to prophecy and prophets. I know this is a review, but we need to hear it again. 27% of the entire Bible contains prophetic material, most of which have come true, some that remain to be fulfilled. And even though this book was written over thousands of years, remember, this was not penned in 100 years. This was written over thousands of years by different people who didn't know each other, who probably didn't read the other books. This was put together for our benefit within our time, our generation, going back 1600s. But it was put together for us. And that's why I believe the Bible's true. Most of the prophecies, a lot of them, from different authors, talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ remains at the heart of all biblical prophecy. And the entire Bible is what they call Christological. It's Christ-centered. Christ is present in all 66 books of the Bible, even though 33 were written before he was even born. Amen. That's outstanding. Last week I noted that in his definitive text on biblical prophecy, great Bible study scholar by the name of Dr. Peyton, Dr. Baton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy identifies 8,352 prophetic predictive verses in the Bible. In the New Testament, there are 7,914 verses. 1,711 contain predictive material. That's 21%. Now, here's a question I posed to you last two weeks ago. Why would you write something that you want people to believe is true if you're going to put markers in there that have to come to pass. In other words, if somebody came up and they gave me a prophetic, Pastor, in one week, 
on this date, this is going to happen. And guess what? It doesn't happen. You going to believe that person anymore? The Bible put predictions in there, all of which have come true. And if they didn't come true, I'm not going to believe the rest of it. But they all came true, which tells me I'm going to take this book pretty serious. How about you? Amen. Amen. Now, any failed prediction would cause anyone to dismiss the entire book as a mere piece of fictional material. Now, we saw how some of these predictions were about specific events about the birth of Christ. So I'm not going to go over individually. We did that last time. Where the king would be born. <clears throat> where the Messiah would be born. How he would be born. He's born to a virgin. I mean, how many babies are born in a stable? How many babies are laid in a manger? Do you know what a manger is? I'm from New Jersey. I don't know much about farming. But from what I understand, a manger is where you put the food to feed the animals. Am I correct? Yeah. Trough. And so maybe we should say he was born in a trough. And the angels appeared and told the shepherds where to go, where to find him. And the Bible predicts that he'd be born in Bethlehem. That, that there would be a cry, Rama, crying out. Uh, uh, mothers crying for their babies. Why? What's that meant? What does that mean? Well, when the wise men came, it doesn't say there were three. It says wise men. They came after the birth of Jesus. We always put that depiction, you know, those, stat, those little fig, big figurines that we put up there. And you have the shepherds around Jesus. The shepherds, yes, but not the king. The king showed up when he was two years old. They showed up when they saw the star. The star, I'm doing a Christmas message. The star appeared when Jesus was born. They saw the star. It took them approximately two years. How do we know that? Because they showed up and King Herod said, when did you see the star? And so how, what was the age of the kids he had killed? Two years and under. And so the prophetic prediction in the Bible was, there was going to be a great crying, mothers crying. That's what it was predicting, that all these children, two years and under, would be slain because that Herod knew that this king was going to be the king of kings. Amen? And number three is, I believe in the accuracy of the Bible because, uh, because of the scientific accuracy. We touched on this a little bit last week. There are things mentioned in the Bible that weren't even discovered yet. For instance, most historic and religious publications are filled with myths and inaccurate accounts of things because they were written by men of their times. For instance, G and I just went to a, a leadership conference, got invited to a, a round table. It was wonderful. A good friend of mine's church, who I haven't really connected with in years, I went there to be with him. And uh, he told me a story years ago when he was on our board. He said that this guy was passing out this book of a person that had gone to heaven. It was written back in the 1800s. And he said, Jim, you got to read this. It's so funny. He said that he goes, now don't be offended by this, but he goes to heaven and uh, this guy, th this is a guy writing from the 1800s. He says, I went to heaven and this man came up to me and he says, hello, Massa. And he said, I, I didn't recognize who he was. And he said, who are you? It was his slave. That's remember, 1800s. And he says, but you're white. He says, well, black people turn white in heaven. How stupid that is. I got news to you, Jesus was probably black. And then he said that in heaven, he said they're whizzing around in these vehicles going 70 miles an hour. <laughs> the speed limit's about 65, but I'll tell you, nobody's going even 70. They're like, shoo. So that shows you how a lot of books, why well, I went to heaven help, they're really, again, I, I, some are probably true, but how they're written for what they understand. But the Bible was written 
by the Spirit of God through men. And so the predictions that are made were accurate. For instance, at the time of Job and Isaiah, it was commonly believed that the earth was flat. Remember the story that you learned? I hope they still teach it, about Columbus. Columbus believed that the earth was round. Believe it or not, based on biblical things, and he was going to believe he's going to be able to sail around to reach India for spices, Asia. And they said, oh, you're going to fall off the end of the earth. I think there was, a, in the search of the Holy Grail, something like that, they showed the ship going off the end of the earth. But anyway, in Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 22, it says, it is he, Jesus, or God, who sits upon the circle of the earth. The word circle in Hebrew actually meant sphere. So Isaiah, in a time when they believed that the earth was flat, is written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us the world is round. And guess what we found out? The world is round. And we know for sure, because when they went up in that spaceship, they said, hey, guys, guess what? The world is round. In Job uh, chapter 26, in verse 7, it says, he suspends the earth over nothing. They used to think that the earth was sitting on a pedestal. And yet it says in Job 26, 7, he suspends the earth over nothing. And in Job 36, 27 and 28, it says, quote, for he makes small drops of water that they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. This is known as a hydrologic cycle. They knew nothing about that back then, where rain came from. They had all kind of things, you know, sprinkling cans and having, or whatever. I don't know. But they didn't know. And here's Job telling us exactly that we have found out what centuries later is true. Well, the Bible's true. This is an explanation of the Earth's hydrological cycle. Now, isn't it interesting that God directed Abraham to circumcise newborn males specifically on the eighth day? Remember reading that? On the eighth day, they were to circumcise the males. Genesis 17, 12. It wasn't until the 20th century that we discovered that only after eight days of life does vitamin K in the infant diet permit or produce prothrombin. Prothrombin, and, and uh, they're, they're using clotting factors. It's the important clotting factor reach its peak. That's when it reaches its peak, eight days. God knew something man did not know. We know it now. And scientists should go back and say, wow, God told us this before we even discovered it. The Bible is a true book of faith. Amen? The Bible's packed with scriptures that reflect hygienic and medical knowledge far in advance of their time. I still know people today, if you do, well, that's your thing. They don't eat certain foods because, you know, biblically, Leviticus, this food's unclean or whatever. New Testament says eat what's set before you and all that God blesses is clean. I'll go by that. So I'm going to eat. You know, I know what things not to eat, not to eat. But I actually, I have a relative that said, we won't eat this. My wife and I love shrimp. They won't eat shrimp. Or lobster. It's a body eats dead stuff. Well, it tastes pretty good to me. So, <laughs> so again, I don't have the time to present the many, many uh, fulfilled predictions and scientific proofs that are found in the book. Now, I'd like to sum it up in all this in one statement. It was made by a man by the name of Dr. Henry Mars who's a noted modern scientist, and he says this. He pointed out that in Job alone, there are some two dozen disclosure of scientific knowledge 
that no way in the world could Job have known what he was even talking about. And we have discovered over science recently that it's true. I read a, a report that when they were doing a dig at uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they found that the elements were melted. And they said the only way that those elements could be melted was by extreme heat, almost like, like an atomic bomb was dropped on Sodom and Gomorrah. They found in Jericho, remember Jericho, they marched around the walls? The walls were so big, they said that eight chariots, a chariot's pretty big, eight chariots could ride side by side over that wall. That's a wide wall. Probably may even be as wide, maybe even wider than this room. And that's how big the wall was. Now, if that wall came tumbling down, as the song sang, you'd have to be climbing over that side. Like, you know, and they'd be shooting arrows at them. They wouldn't have a chance. But they found, scientists, I read this, that the walls actually were pushed down. When they excavated, they said, wow, the walls were down, down, down. Now, granted, I'm sure they had some type of foundation, but they said it's almost as if something pushed those walls down. Well, why don't we read more about that? Why don't we read more about the 40 days that Jesus came back to earth and did tons of miracles? Why don't we read about this stuff? Because they went out of the way to destroy anything written. Some stuff, like Josephus' stuff, survived. But a lot of that stuff was destroyed because they did not want to promote what they called a myth. And a lot of the information back then was by storytelling and by word of mouth. Thank God somebody wrote this down by the Holy Spirit, and we know what the truth is. Amen? Praise God. So it's, it's, it's back with, the Bible's just packed with all kind of scientific stuff. Now, in, if all this information is true then, then why wouldn't the rest of the book be true? Why does this book, what this book describes as the character and nature of God, I'm going to believe it because it treats it treats God like deity, and it reveals God for who he is. And if everything else in the Bible is true, I'm going to believe that God is pure love. God, isn't, God doesn't love. He is love. He is love. You know, when we do the wedding ceremonies and we read, I believe it's, correct me, Chuck, either 2nd or 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, and we talk about love is this. Love, and you read it to the bride and the groom. And that's, we can't love like that. That's love motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's actually one description says, and this is love. And then it lists all the other eight things that describe love. That's the love of God. Guys, if you want to be encouraged, read that chapter. Because that is talking how God loves. And one of the greatest things it says in that, which we don't comprehend yet, God keeps no account of wrong. Throw out the scoreboard. Throw out the big scale theory. God doesn't keep track of that. When we're judged, we're going to judge by one thing. Unless a man be born again, unless he confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and place his trust. Now that word believe in Jesus is not a mental assent. It means you cling to, trust in, and rely upon every single day Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's why I pray in appreciation for what he's done. That's why I go to church in appreciation for what he, Nothing comes before God. And that's a learning process. But God is absolutely pure love. Now, what about the New Testament? I believe that the New Testament is also the word of God. And this is what's interesting. 
If I gave you a choice, Fran, of a brand new car, an old clunker, what would you choose? Brand new car. So we got the Old Testament and we got the New Testament. We got the old will and we got the new will. What are you going to choose? I'm taking a new will. And the new will is not based like the Old Testament. The Old Testament was based on this. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The wages of sin is death. That's the law. But the law of freedom in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the New Testament. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's faith that saves you in the grace of God. And that's a gift of God. Not the faith, the grace. The faith is your part. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for your sin? You said it. When he said Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. The literal translation, and we studied that right in the beginning of this course, the series. It's an it's a, it's a early Greek word that was everyday language. It wasn't it is finished. He said, paid in full. When he was on that cross, Jesus said, paid in full. How would you like? How many have mortgages? Can you imagine you get something in the mail and it's your mortgage and it's stamped paid in full because somebody else paid that mortgage? Are you dumb enough to say, well, I don't, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to pay it off. Who do they think they are? And that's what some people are going to say in front of God. <laughs> Jesus Christ died for my sin. Amen? Amen. So, the bottom line is this. Are you willing to learn about God? The bottom line is this. Are you willing to do what it takes to get to know him? And are you willing to decide these four things? Now, this is why I wanted to do this course. One, do I accept this book as the word of God to me today? I don't know about you. I'd like God to talk to me. I pray every day for direction. And yet he gave us an instruction manual. And people don't read it. This will answer your questions. This will help you when you're down. This will lift you up. This will help you when you're depressed. This will help you when you're worried. This will help you when you're sick. This will help you when the doctor gives you a bad report. And read this. I just got in a mail today because I get them every year. I get this publication. We found it sitting on top of our mailbox. Somebody else must have got it. And it's basically all the new scientific findings uh, of, of medical science. And it's like we talked about. I mean, you, these guys come through with these major breakthroughs. And, and the, medical the medical field doesn't want to. If I read that correctly, you don't have to have a breast removed. They found a way. They can kill this thing. It's a lumpectomy. And they kill it, and the cancer's gone. Who else is using it? How much is it going to cost? How much am I going to get paid if I do it? It's like, man, Lord. Do I accept the book as the word of God is truth today? There's this saying that says, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. You as Christians need to realize, I'm not going to believe anything till I hear what God says about it. Can you do that? Because if you don't open the book, you're not doing it. You're not going to know what God says. Number two, am I willing to take the time and read it? Guys, we're living in the last days. It says in the last days, knowledge shall abound. It's not talking about going to the moon and what we know. We know squat. We, can you build a pyramid with nothing? 
Can you do the things they did in the past? It's like we've gotten smarter and we've gotten dumber. The greatest dumbest we got is throwing the word of God out when that is the whole basis of right or wrong in our lives. They're not teaching about God in public schools. They're not te- you're not going to hear it on TV. They mock God. Men of God are mocked. Men are mocked. And our, our younger generation doesn't understand what's right and what's wrong anymore because this was the basis for truth. We're getting dumber. So the question is, are you willing to take the time and read it? Number three, will you approach what you read as God talking specifically to you? This was written to you specifically. This is a love letter from God to you. This is an instruction manual from God to you. This is how to live life. This is how to handle the enemy. This is how to handle the ups and downs in life. God did not leave you without answers. He knows the devil's here. Why does he just wipe the devil out? Because the devil is convicting himself. Over these generations, he's showing who he really is. And God is training up a group of people to rule and reign in the next life. I'm going to start teaching on heaven in a couple weeks. I can't wait because we forgot about what this is all about. God is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Heaven is your reward, and heaven isn't what you think it is. Because we all think it's floating around doing nothing. Boring. (laughs) Heaven's a lot more than you think. Number four, will I approach what I read with an open mind and a willingness to change what I have heard about God and his relationship to me? Are you going to listen to some bozo that says contrary? Listen, when somebody would say something, I didn't go to church, but I was reading my Bible, and they would say something, wait a minute. One guy would say, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And then I go to the next program, he says, and a lady says, well, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm standing. He says, Are you, do you feel sick? Yes. Well, then you're sick, and you're going to stay sick. And maybe God's teaching you a lesson. How many sick people, and that's not you, are in this room that would give your kids a disease to teach them a lesson? Don't blame my father for what the devil does. To me, in my opinion, that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That thing will not be forgiven. Don't blame God. Don't give God credit for evil and give the devil credit for good. Amen? Now, this is living what we quoted right in the beginning of this message. The just shall live by faith. Now, what the heck does that mean? Another translation, a better translation is, the just shall live a life of faith. I think the clock stopped. Or is it, is it really 10 of 8? Clock don't work. <laughs> you're going to you're gonna have to let me know when it's about quarter after 8. Is that a battery? Those of you listening by CB. <laughs> <laughs> Faith in what? Well, I'm believing God for a better job. Or I'm believing God for this amount of money. I'm believing God to win a lot. I'm believing... That's not the faith God's talking about. It's faith in what the Bible says. It's faith in what the Bible says about God. Do you believe what the Bible says about God? Faith. Hebrews 11.1, that's the faith. But I like Hebrews 11.6. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. You believe God is God? Nothing in my life can happen without God's permission. That's what I'm saying to myself over and over again. 
Chris is taking the clock down. It's all right. They're going to let me know what time it is, but thank you anyway. Okay? So faith in what? Faith in what God says. Faith in what God says about me. And faith in what God says about your future. I know I say this a million times, but when I was going through the toughest times of my life, and I was living all by myself in this little dinky apartment, I got a notebook, and I started reading my Bible. And I've been preaching for how many years? And I sat and I wrote down every single thing that the Bible said about God, what God said about me, and what God said about my future. And guess what? It's good. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you if you're always good. It's not in there like that. God says, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand. It doesn't come off when I screw up. He still loves me. He's there when I'm down, he's there when I'm up. He's there when I'm good, he's there when I'm bad. He's always there. That's the love of God. How many parents in the right mind, if their kids are screwing up, say, I don't love you anymore, you're not my kid anymore. I'm sorry, it's too bad. You're related by blood, and I'm related by the blood of Jesus. My pastor used to say, I'm regenerated. I don't have the genes of my mother, father, I have the genes of God. So when you embrace and live the truths in the Bible, you're also promised to enjoy the benefits mentioned in the book. Study the men of God. Though they went through things, the reward at the end was incredible. I like what it says about Job. They say historically probably his, what he was going through, and that was without Jesus dying on the cross for him. Nine months. And he ended up with a lot more than he started with. He went through hell, and he screwed up a little bit in his assessment of God. And I still hear people quoting this, and I do not agree with this. And don't get in an argument with me about it. But because Job said it doesn't mean it's true. God gives and God takes away. I'm sorry, I do not believe that. I don't believe that. The devil steals. Wasn't Jesus clear about that? The devil kills, steals, and destroys. Not God. Get that straight when you read your word of God. Now, I told you over these weeks that my goal would be the following. Number one, that you would come to believe that the Bible is accurate, truthful, and is the written word of God. The written word of God. What's that mean? They've written down what God spoke. Number two, that you will come to believe that this Bible reveals to us the character and nature of God. Who he is, what he considers right and wrong, and how he views us and how he wants us to live. Three, my goal is that knowing these things, that you can develop an intimate desire, I should say insatiable desire, to read it and understand it. Brian just got a new translation. What's the name of the translation? Does it look pretty good? Christian Standard Bible. I went and I bought every translation there was because I want them. I love the Amplified Bible. Message is a paraphrase, but it's still good. The Living Bible is a paraphrase, still good. The New Living Translation, great book. Great book. Help me out with some of the other ones I bought. The New King James, uh, the NIV, ES, which is the English Standard Version. And then there's the New Americans. There's, read them all. They're understandable. They're great. I'm reading it. I said, wow, you, I, and I'm, I love King James. It's the King James Bible. I, I know where to find everything, but I realize, Jim, you got to move on to things because these thou, those, and thou shalt not, and all that, and, you know, the way the Bible does, uh, you know, that, that the movie, again, I keep quoting the um, Monty Python, Search Holy Grail, says, remember about the Holy Hand Grenade? 
If any of you are, thou shalt hold the hand of Hold this thou the hand of grace. I mean, the way the King James puts it, it's confusing. Get a book you understand. Get a translation. Not a paraphrase. Message Bible's okay, but it's a paraphrase. It's one man's translation, not a group of people that come together and do that. Amen? So again, number three, that knowing these things, you're going to develop an insatiable desire to read the Bible and understand for yourself. Guys, we have no excuse. There are Bible apps on your phone. There are Bible apps on your phone that speak to you the Bible. They read it to you. Man, talk about... If you're too lazy to read it, let them read it for you. Amen? You can get it on computer. You can get it on CD, DVD, flash drives. We have no excuse. We stand before God. And we're going to stand with these poor suckers that somebody brought them a page of the Bible. And they devoured it. They memorized it. And we have volumes. And ignorance is not an excuse. I dare you to see a cop sitting by a red light. And you go through the red light. And you tell him, oh, I didn't know I couldn't go through red lights. You're going to get a ticket. Ignorance is not an excuse. We don't have an excuse. Amen? Now, so let us continue, but this time a little more emphasis on the New Testament. Okay, I'll be done on time, but we'll start here. We can receive the Old, Old Testament as fact according to the things that I've explained. And we have faith in our God, so I believe what that Bible says. The New Testament is about the coming of the Messiah. Praise God. Do you understand that the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called uh, synoptic gospels. They have a common, uh, common understanding. They, they, they're following the same train of thought. Well, they contradict each other. No, they don't. Matthew was written to the Jew. Mark was written to the Roman. And Luke was written to the elite, the Greeks. And so they, they reported the same things, but they're giving the translation of what they saw, excuse me, by what they saw that relates to their audience. Matthew's presenting Jesus as a Messiah. So Matthew's spending a lot of time with, with, with uh, Old Testament prophecies showing, listen, Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus fulfilled this. You'll notice many prophecies fulfilled by the birth of Jesus, and that's what Matthew's doing, okay? But when you get to Mark, you're not going to see a lot about Jewish customs and stuff because he's writing to the Romans. They don't care about Jewish customs. So they have to explain them about washing of hands and stuff. The Jews knew what that meant, but the Romans didn't. And, Jew, and, and, and Mark presents Jesus as a conquering hero because the Romans were conquerors. And then you get to Luke. Luke's a little more scientific. I like Luke. He talk, he's a doctor. So he's talking a lot about healing and stuff like that. So they're not contradicting each other. They're just different point of views of the same event. Get it? John, on the other hand, is not a synoptic gospel. John is a separate book written by John, the apostle, the beloved of Jesus, who writes to the believer. And so he's going to write to people that understand that in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word dwelt with us. Luke talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Talking to believers, right? And believe it or not, those books are Old Testament books. Did you know that? They're in the New Testament because Jesus is talking. It's about, but they're actually 
the New Testament really doesn't begin until Jesus comes back from the dead. So yes, they're New Testament books talking about Jesus, but they're still under Old Testament law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he paid the price. On that cross, he said, it's finished. What's finished? The laws we cannot possibly keep, he kept on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that by him we become the righteousness of God. I can stand before God clean, without guilt, because Jesus died for every sin I've ever committed or will commit. And now that doesn't give you free will to go ahead and do what you want to do. You get it? Paid in full. So when we start the book of Acts, now we're in the New Testament. And I don't know what chapter we're in Acts now, probably 5,650,000, but we're in that because we're the Acts of the church. And things have not changed. I mean, a lot of religious stuff has come up and mumbo-jumbo, but we need to follow the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about the Holy Spirit. Amen? So this is my little spiel there. So the New Testament is about the coming of the Messiah. What's the Messiah's name? Jesus. And these books are about who Jesus was, what he taught, and the accounts of the early followers. And if we consider ourselves a Christian, these books are going to tell us who Jesus is, and Jesus is demonstrating the character and nature of Father God. So let me ask you, does God make you sick? Some of you probably believe he does. Well, Jesus is God incarnate. He's the word of God living by demonstration, the character and nature of God. I don't see anywhere where Jesus makes somebody sick. If he wanted to, the Pharisees that were persecuting him, he could have said, cancer. The worst I've seen is when the Holy Spirit did some cool things like shut people's mouths. Remember Fran in the days back when, we are living in the days of Ananias and Sapphira. I used to hate that prophecy. Because if you know what Ananias and Sapphira is, New Testament, book of Acts, they came to the apostles and said, we sold our land and we want to give all this money to you. The problem was, if they sold it for 100000 they kept seventy-five and gave the church $25,000. do not lie to God. Don't say you're a tither when you're not. Don't lie. Those people drop dead. Now, that's the Holy Spirit saying, don't mess around. Thank God for the grace of God. Because I'd be the first one to be laying on the floor. Amen? So the New Testament begins with the book of Acts. Now, some opponents of the Bible say that the New Testament's not true. Well, it's contradictory, and it's probably written much later than stated, making it inaccurate, and the thoughts of whims of those who wrote it. So is the New Testament an accurate historical account? Yes. There are three generally accepted texts for anything to prove that it is historically correct. And that's next week. Read your Bibles. Please read your Bibles. When I preach and teach and I quote a scripture, you should go to it, underline it, circle it, and then go back. What's it say? God tells Joshua, before you go into this battle, before you go to face an army that's much bigger than you and, and, and things you're not going to understand because you're not warriors, you made bricks. 
I want you to meditate on the word. And that word meditate means to chew on it. What are you chewing on? We chew on a lot of nonsense. I know I shouldn't eat McDonald's hamburgers, but they're good. They're not good for me. Bad gym. I've stayed away for a long time, but I fell today. We can eat stuff like that, but this is the food of life. Man, if you read one scripture a day, it's feeding your soul. And that's why I'm teaching about the Bible. Amen? So we'll finish up next week. Every head, every eye closed. I think I know everybody here today.